Hey, welcome to 715. My name is AJ. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Covenant. We're so glad that you are here with us. People in the room, can we make a little bit of noise? A little bit of faith? All of you online are missing something by not being here. And I want to just tell you that. But we'll see you next week because we have a special guest next week. So uh, looking forward to being with you all in person. Thank you guys for being here. Tonight is a very special night because we are concluding our series on mental health. Has this been a good series for people? It's been good? Okay. All the introverts are like little tiny claps. Don't look at me. Um, Hopefully it's been good for you as well online. As we've been doing this year with 715, kind of concluding some of these series with a panel where we bring our presenters and our teachers back and uh, hear from them and take questions from you guys. And tonight is one of those nights. uh, And we are taking live questions, live Q&A. So if you send a question in now, It'll pop up on my screen. We can ask many of them. We'll get through as many as we can. We've already got some in the queue already. Um, and so we will, uh, we will welcome you uh, to send those in, I believe. Yeah, there it is. A giant QR code on the screen. And uh, you can also go to slido.com and use the code 4022. And let me real quick, before we move on to that, so you've got the link. You can send in your questions if you've got them all throughout the night. Let me reintroduce our panelists to you tonight. Uh, Starting from my left, my favorite person in the world, I think, maybe. I don't know. I'm going to, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt the rest of the people I'm about to introduce, but this is how much I love Pastor June, our uh, pastor over our Korean congregation. Can we give a little bit of love for Pastor June? And I said it and I meant it. He's one of my favorites. So next to him, we have Pastor Jim Critcher, resident prophet in chief in the house. (laughs) Pastor Duke Bendix, one of the greatest uh, pastors and teachers that I personally know. And coming in from Florida, High Point, there he is on the screen, Pastor Keith Tower joining us. So good to see you. We are doing something we've never done before. Phoning in a friend, long distance. These are the things you do. So Pastor Keith, I know I'm going to look at the TV, but you're going to see me here. So I'm going to look here to see you there. And last but not least, Miata Jones, our resident creative director, demon slayer, teacher. (laughs) Uh, Yes, it's our little joke. Yes. Well, good. So listen, if you guys have questions, again, go ahead and scan that QR code. Go to slido.com, punch in 4022, send your questions in here. I want to start with this one. Pastor Duke, you started this whole series with this, uh, with this phrase, um, and it really stuck with me throughout the whole series. Um, you said, as we approach this topic, we're going to approach it as disciples of Jesus and not as victims. And that was so powerful to me in the way that it adjusts our whole focus as a people. Can you speak into that a little bit more and elaborate on that? Well, I appreciate appreciate you asking that because the one thing that when we came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives, we became engaged with the eternal purpose of God as that is worked out in our life. We are followers of Christ as disciples As a result, any situation we find ourselves in and any that we've been through are all aimed to serve that process of becoming better followers of Jesus Christ. No matter how difficult, we're not consumers, we're not victims, we have opportunity to turn everything in our life into an occasion for finding and realizing the grace of God and the Holy Spirit working in our lives. 
And that is what it, what it means to be a, a disciple who works their way through the difficulties they have. Excellent. So good. Thank you, Pastor Duke. I think as we enter this, as we you know, think about the series, that for me has got to stay forefront for us all. Because we can talk about you know, strategies, truth, the clinical side of it, and all of that. But if we leave the blood of Jesus and the purpose of the cross out of it, we've, we've, we've missed it, I think, entirely. Um, so we talked about a lot of different topics this series. Just to give you guys a recap, Pastor Duke started us off talking about uh, two pasts, one future. Incredibly profound message dealing with what's behind you and understanding what's ahead in your life in Christ. Pastor Jim, you brought a word about what even is health, understanding benchmarks of health. Um, and one of them you, you talked about was how uh, our mental health, our emotional health manifests in our relationships as a primary place for that. Can you retouch on that again as a reminder? Because I thought that was uh, one of the most profound things to pull out of that whole message was that we can really evaluate this based on how we interact with others. Well, I, I think your, I think your summation pretty much did right. it. Well, we'll move right along then. No. <laughs> but many times we get a false positive or a false negative. If we are trying to assess where we are aside from the mirrors of relationship, because I don't know of, of anything that reflects more where we are spiritually, emotionally, in every other way than how it's reflected in my relationship with my wife, my children, my friends, et cetera, and so forth. And so that becomes, if you wish, the litmus test. That becomes the benchmark by which our health is measured. Because otherwise, if we're trying to do it in a vacuum, um, I don't believe we're ever going to get a real picture That's of good. what health is. It's good. It's why we do life in community. That's why we prioritize family. That's why we say you don't go through life alone because you were never made to go through life alone. It's more than just sounds good. It's a good program to be involved in. It gives health in so many areas of your life. Um, Pastor Keith, coming in from Florida, man, thank you so much for being available to us on a Wednesday night. This is really special and a huge treat for us. Um, your message spoke uh, so much to my wife and I just because it, it really hit on a lot of what was our journey, uh, which we shared last week. Um, and I've got a question that I want to I send your way as our first true audience question, um, which I think you can speak to. The question is, how can you tell the difference between spiritual anxiety and clinical anxiety. And if you can even think about what, what those two things might be, is there even a thing as spiritual anxiety? What, I, I can remember sure. you over here. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, ec uh, excellent question. And man, it's great to, great to be back with you guys. I uh, was up there actually last uh, weekend as well. So um, here we are again. And um, so anxiety from a clinical perspective has a clinical definition. And the, the key thing with regards to a, a clinical form of anxiety or depression, uh, it becomes clinical when it becomes debilitating. Um, so where I cannot do my normal uh, routines of life. And anytime we're thinking about mental health, maybe even more than spiritual health, um, we're talking about whether our coping systems, our normal coping systems get overwhelmed. And there's a couple ways that can happen. If I'm having... Uh, mental health could be that I have um, an abnormal response to a normal life situation, and that overwhelms my coping system. So that's where we would have maybe uh, an anxiety disorder. Something normal happens. I have a, a test and it didn't go well, or I'm you know, getting ready for my driver exam. And it's a normal life situation, but my response to it becomes such that it becomes debilitating. 
another way that it can show itself is I can have a normal response to an abnormal life situation. And I could have a perfectly healthy, normal response to something strange and weird in the world like mm, uh, 2020, <laughs> right? I respond normally to an abnormal life situation, and that causes my uh, coping mechanisms to get overwhelmed. We saw that a ton, um, particularly, I mean, around anxiety. Gosh, the uncertainty of 2020 that it caused, right? We're looking at a future that, that at least, you know, we knew, hey, if you save, you'll have some money laid up. If you work hard at your job, it'll be there. And then all of a sudden, an abnormal situation happens, changes everything we thought we knew about the future. And this uncertainty, a normal response to that kind of uncertainty is to get overwhelmed and to, to feel anxiety. Um, so you can have a normal response to an abnormal life situation that can overwhelm your coping. You can have a abnormal response to a normal life situation. And I would think that the same is, is true spiritually as well. I think the, the key to spiritual anxiety would really be our security and who we are in God, right? Because the uncertainty that would cause uh, life situations to, you know, uh, to, would cause my anxiety to flare up. When I recognize who I am in God, how consistent he is, how amazing he is, how that he is for me, and I can settle into uh, a future that rests in his hands, and I don't have to take, you know, the same level of ownership that I would over, say, my mental or, or emotional health. It's beautiful. Thank you, Pastor Keith. That's so good. Um, I'm going to keep us moving. Pastor June, you're not off the hook, even though you're out of my line of sight here. Um, you delivered a phenomenal message about breaking unhealthy mindsets. And you talked to, I think, one of the things that really stood out to me was just the, the statistic of, I think, over half of our decisions we make are reflexive and automatic in, in, in a day. We don't, even, we don't even think about them. And the whole, you know, genesis with that message, and, you know, you can fill in here if you'd like, was, um, you know, many of us, our self-talk, the thoughts we think about ourselves and about our situations are the voices that we hear loudest and most often because we are in our heads all the time. And so a question came in regarding that, which was, how do you capture those automatic thoughts, those decisions that you make without even thinking about them, how do you capture them and then subject them to the, to the obedience of Scripture, the authority of Scripture, when it feels like those thoughts are never ending? And it feels like a constant battle day in and day out to do that. How do you, I think it's maybe two questions. How do you do it, but how do you persevere in doing it? That's a, that's a good question. But um, before I jump into that question, Pastor AJ, I, I have to note the fact that I'm the only one on the high chair. And I was, I was wondering why. But you know what's awesome about this moment is I never saw Pastor Keith eye to eye. Like, his <laughs> eye level was always. But today, I'm sitting straight and I'm like, I'm as tall as Pastor Keith right now. That never happened even we were sitting down together. That never happened even at. Even seated. He's, yeah, yeah, he's, he's like in the second floor and I'm on the first floor always. So. And if you don't know, Pastor Keith is seven feet tall. And so if you've not seen him in person, you are wondering what we're talking about. But Yes. Yes, but um, thank you so for letting me sit here. You're welcome. <laughs> um, back, back to the question. Um, I, I, I want to circle back to what um, Pastor Jim said. I, I think it is community. Mm -hmm. um, because the purpose, and I love what Ephesians 16 and 18 says. It talks about strengthening the inner man. And I, I'm sure that it, it, we know that involves the mind. But that same phrase, strengthening, it's repeated in verse 18. It makes the purpose very clear. 
that we are to be strengthened not so that we are stronger, is so that we could know the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of God. But between that, it says, with your brothers. So Paul is quick to say, I'm going to strengthen you for the sake of love. But before I go to the love, I'm going to say, so that you do it with your brothers and sisters. So the community is right in there. I think there's no other way to do this other than you sit down with your community. And Pastor Edge, isn't that the reason why we fight or we, we get sharpened by our wives so much? Because yes. they just reflect <laughs> the truth in who you are. That's what they do. Yeah. And you're, they you, do. it seems like yeah. you and I are the only one laughing because we're the only genuine people in this room. Because I know everyone else. Now, now you're genuine. There you go. <laughs> I, you know, like all of us, we, we, and they're very kind. Our wives are awesome. They're so kind. We are who we are because of our wives. Exactly. And we would not be that without and, them. And, and Duke and I have been on the planet long enough not to laugh at a comment. <laughs> so oh. you young guys just failed, oh. but that's all right. Go yeah. ahead. So, Pastor, I was trying to recover because I noticed that I'm like, I failed that comment. You're like, Sarah's not <laughs> laughing down there. I don't know why she's not. <laughs> no, no. So again, that just in that moment showed the inner thought that was happening in me that, and I'm like, I got to tweak that with wisdom that I just heard from Pastor Jim. So, and your community uh, yes. didn't help in that moment because I egged you on, <laughs> and I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm banking on my wife not watching tonight, so uh, I hope no. Uh, that's that's so good, Pastor June. That's um, tremendous. So. Miata, you spoke on fear with Pastor Tiffany, an incredible message, stories of your lives, and really shared your journey of that, which was so powerful. One of the questions that we got um, regards decision-making and fear and anxiety around making decisions, particularly um, fear that it might not be in God's will, or I'm feeling uncertain about a decision. How do I know? Is that God telling me no? Is that fear just, you know, making me feel uncertain? If you were counseling somebody that came to you and said, you know, I've got a big decision to make, and I'm just so nervous, and I'm feeling all kinds of way, what would be some of the things that you advise them and counsel them on as, as they approach that, to, to hear well from God in those moments? First, I would tell them to make an appointment with Pastor Duke or Pastor Jim. <laughs> <laughs> They're my pastors. <laughs> Let's go to the elders. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's, I, I really do love this question because I think we all battle with this. We all battle with decision-making. Um, I heard who was it? It was, um, I'm blanking on his name right now, John Piper. Uh, he said, the Bible doesn't tell us what car to buy. You know, like there's all these little decisions that we make in our life that isn't spelled out directly in the Bible. But as we spend time with God's word and we um, get to know his voice and his will and um, the things that delight his heart, those things become a part of almost like our muscle memory. Um, so it helps us make better decisions that are in line with, um, the word of God and his will. Um, I think if you're obeying God, if you are, um, trusting him lordship, then you're making decisions <laughs> that are, please feel free to chime in. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think if you're a trusting God, you're reading his word, you're in community, um, then you're making decisions that are in line with the will of God. Yeah. That's great. Excellent. Uh, okay, so the ice has been broken. We've all shared an answer. So I'm lifting this whole calling on people's names, and we're going to 
just kind of ease into this now, right? Um, because we've got a lot of questions that are going to cross over our messages, and I would just love to hear the conversation and the thought and the flow here. Um, so a great one uh, comes from when you have family members, friends, that you think have maybe a battle with mental illness, mental health, some maybe it's emotional ma maturity or something like that, and you can see it in them, but you're not sure that they see it in them. What do you do? How can you, can you call that out in somebody? Can you tell somebody they need to go to get a counselor? Can you just walk up on them and try to deliver them? Uh, what is the role of a friend, of a, of a brother or a sister in Christ, in walking with somebody else through, through these types of challenges and finding Jesus in it? <laughs> oh, we're all pointing to Keith. Okay, so we're all pointing to Pastor Keith. <laughs> oh, uh, awesome. Well, I will, will gladly uh, field that then. Because I, I, I couldn't see everybody at the moment, so I didn't know if everybody was pointing at Duke or somebody else. But um, yeah, so I, to, to me, it really depends on the depth of the relationship, right? If we're talking about a, a family member, a friend, and their distance, and we haven't had any, you know, real life contact with them on a, on a meaningful level, um, then I think it's, you know, it's maybe what you could do is have a conversation with somebody that might be a little bit closer to them. Um, but if it's somebody that you have a measure of relationship with, I think one of the easiest things, most people that when, when they come for mental health help, I mean, I've been in private practice for 20 years and they, they come in usually not knowing what's going on, but they don't feel right. You know, they can describe, uh, I, I have the blues or man, I just find myself stressed or I'm not as productive as I was once was or our relationship. We, we're not sure what's going on, but it just has friction. So one of the things you can maybe talk to somebody is about the fruit that you see whatever it is that's giving you concern rather than it's not a great lead to go hi um have you ever considered you have a mental health issue but you could approach maybe what you see from their mood like gosh it really seems like you've been down a lot lately is everything okay right or man i can see how this situation really seems stressful toward you it seems like maybe you've been a little bit more agitated lately is everything okay and coming from a place of compassion uh we see jesus doing that all the time right he rarely walked up and offered the solution he usually first walked up and offered his presence, and then he offered compassion. And in, when people encounter a compassionate, non-anxious presence, they usually are very open to um, uh, opening their lives up a little bit more. So I think a question around what you see, seems like you're sad. Gosh, it seems, you know, I've noticed you and your husband seem to be fighting a lot more. Is there everything, is everything okay? Is there something I can pray about? And and you can usually tell shortly after that, like, oh, my gosh, yes, please pray. We've tried everything. We don't know what to do. We're about to get divorced. Okay. Well, hey, have you considered talking to somebody, right? And you poach it, uh, put it in a question. Or if somebody's really having the blues, yes, I find myself really struggling to even get out of bed in the morning. My goodness, have you had a chance to talk to somebody about that? I know there's some very helpful professionals. Maybe I can go with you. Um, that's that's how I found it to be effective to help introduce the topic to somebody. Thank you, Pastor Keith. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, th um, I think a, a well-placed question and a series yep. of them will open up a conversation. And 
I know for, for many of us, when we, when we see somebody struggling, uh, someone in pain, we want to rush in and fix and just, and just give them a solution and just, and just rush in there and do that. And that's very rarely what they actually need. Um, and, you know, just from our story, what, and that's what I did with my wife was like, all right, well, here's your solution. Just do that. You know, take two scriptures and call me in the morning. You'll be fine. Um, but what the reality was, um, particularly when they're mental health challenges, is that people need to feel loved. Um, and cared for, and, and, and valued, and validated, and not ostracized, or rejected, or seen as sick, or seen as, as less than, or seen as a project for you to fix. And if we approach it in that, well, then we're going to do damage to the receptivity of that person desiring any help from you at all. But you approach them with love. And I've counseled... And Pastor, many, if I'm... Yeah. Oh. Go ahead. So, sorry, I know we, we've got a little delay. I apologize if I overspoke uh, you. I think what you're saying is 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 so true, and one of the ways we can inadvertently um, signal a, a lack of love or compassion is by not talking to people about something that is obvious to us. Um, one of the most loving, compassionate things we can do is come and be present and say, "Are you okay? I noticed this, um, and it seems like it's a it's a struggle for you." And I've never had a situation where I've approached somebody that seemed to be struggling that wasn't and got angry at me for expressing compassion. Um, I have had situations where I felt a little bit insecure. I didn't know if I could approach them, and I didn't. And in almost every uh, one of those moments, I've regretted it because there was something that was obvious, and they took my lack of willingness to talk to them as not caring about them. Right, right, right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and I think the fear we face in that is, well, I don't know that I have the answers. I don't know that I can do it all. But that's usually not what they're going to look for from you. It's the love yep. and the compassion, and it's just per- personal presence is one of the greatest gifts you can give to somebody. That's great. Well, that's a that's a write that down in your notes if you're listening. Um, okay, somebody's favorite quote from the series uh, attributed to Pastor Jim. So buckle up. Are you getting nervous now or are you getting excited? I'm going to start crying. He's going to start crying. Okay. Uh, favorite quote of the series from somebody said, when you said, don't Marie Kondo Christ. Remember that? <laughs> how do you, then here's the question. How do you deal or how do you handle um, when God, quote, violates our happiness to make us healthy? That's just what God does. <laughs> there you go. And God has done it from the very beginning because he made the first couple pretty unhappy in order to manifest something about himself. And so the greatest lessons that have come to my life have not come from a place of ease, a place of comfort, a place of blessing. But the same way that we know from 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 the scripture that until we get disciplined, we don't really know we're sons and daughters. And so it's been in the midst, quite frankly, of some of my unhappiest moments that, number one, I'm forced to reorient away from self and on to God. But then secondly, realizing God knows enough to throw a flag on the play. And so it's, it's, it's this wonderful symbiotic relationship that I'm changed, but more especially, my understanding of God is enhanced every time. Mm, that's excellent. Pastor June, as a follow-up and kind of on that same lane, um, 
as a Christian, should we expect to be happy all the time because we have this hope in a risen Jesus? And how do we reconcile um, that hope that we have, the true hope that we have, with the very real feelings of sadness and unhappiness that we face day to day? I'm asking uh, you. <laughs> it's a good question, isn't it? Oh, yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's thinner it's like Denver um, how do we deal with the hope yeah. carry the tension of the hope mm. with a very real presence of sadness, disappointment frustration, failure yeah and um, contentment is the key I think because we always live in two time zones right um, what we hope for, and that's what faith is, what we envision, and God gives a vision and dream and prophecy and word and promises and covenant. And we have faith for it, yet we live in the present and now, which is not ideal, and we're not happy about it. We're not, it's hard to be content about it, but I think doing that both at the same time, being hopeful about what God is done, God is going to do, and um, being really content where we are. I think those two practices, spiritual practices, are really key, and they have to coexist. They have to coexist. And it's a tension that should never break. I think if that tension breaks and it leans in one way or the other in our soul, I think something goes wrong in our faith or our joy. And I think always the key is, is joy. The litmus test is, are we joyful? Mm -hmm. And we know that the word joy is not happy. Um, and... God loves to destroy the idea, the theology of happiness. God really is not, he doesn't really care if we're happy or not. But he has a tremendous interest in heart that we are joyful, that we're filled with the joy of the Lord. Yeah, and I think just building on that, the Lord God loves us enough that he sent a comforter. And I think some of the times, the only as Pastor Jim was alluding to, we only get to know God in truly intimate ways, which is always what he's after. The best thing we can possibly experience in our life is knowing God better. That's the ultimate. That's what going to heaven is going to be about. We'll see him as he is. And right now we look through as, a, as though through a glass darkly. And what, we're, what we, we are upheld by in this current uh, veil of tears, adversity of this current world, Jesus left us, or sent to us rather, the spirit of himself to comfort us. And I think we always want to keep in mind, the Holy Spirit is present, is there to be interacted with, lived with, drawn from, and, and called upon. And that's what he, that's what the father has promised to give us. Wonderful. I think too, pastor, as, as, as much as I love being happy and comfortable, that is way too low of a bar to shoot for in life. Um, that, that's really a, almost a, almost a, the high water mark of a fallen world is to be happy, right? You and I are body, soul, and spirit three in one. When we're born again, our spirit is born again. When that's not every man, woman, and child is left with, body and soul, which is your physical, right? Where you want comfort and then your emotions where you want happiness and ease. And even if you can attain the highest that the flesh and the, you know, emotions want, which is happy or comfort, um, that's only two out of three. That's 66%. That's an F anywhere in the world. 
So the best you can get setting a high mark of a life goal of happiness is really shooting way too low. When you add the spirit in, you have the possibility of significance. You have the possibility of purpose. You have the possibility of, of every life experience you have, whether enjoyable or not, of producing a closeness and intimacy in God that's not available to those in the unbelieving world. And the unbelieving world says, yay, be happy. That's their high watermark. And for those of us, of us in Christ, that is a low watermark that we should not honestly strive to settle for. Because in my unhappiness, the things I can discover about God uh, are extraordinary. And if I know him better and understand that there's significance and purpose to it, oh my goodness, like there, there's actually a, a genuine reason. It's where Paul and, and, you know, you can see in the New Testament where they rejoice in sufferings. And, and James and these guys are saying, man, bring it on. Like there's stuff we can discover about God. There's purpose to it. And purpose, significance are way higher life goals than something as low as happiness. Amen. Amen. That's good, Pastor Keith. So good. Let's take this moment to remind you if you're watching online or if you're in the room and want to submit a question to please feel free to do that. Uh, we're going to begin to wind down here the next couple minutes or so. So if you want to throw one in, please do. Uh, I'd also like us to take a brief moment to thank our AV team for this flawless connection to Pastor Keith. Shout out to the guys and ladies in the back. You guys are amazing. Um, okay. Uh, serve with AV. Become a member. Join the AV team. We're back from our commercial break. Pastor Jim, this question for you. Um, how do I know if it's a demon or anxiety? Or, you know, substitute the, substitute the, the feeling or, or, or the thing. How do I know? Do I need deliverance? Do I need therapy? Do I need a pastor? Let me say that deliverance and Pastor Keith, Pastor Duke, uh, please weigh in on this. But to me, deliverance is always the last place that I go to. Because most of the time, it is a mindset. Mm -hmm. It's something that has affected our emotions. And so I'm looking many times at demonic activity as the very last thing. Because if I start there and I haven't done the other prerequisite work, in other words, of working on somebody in the realm of their thinking, you know, whatever soul trauma is there, any attempts at, re, at, at, at uh, relocating that demon, um, it, it's probably not going to be effective, either in that moment or a person being able to walk in that deliverance. And so I, I believe that, you know, the benchmarks of a demon are just, you know, anxiety is something that tends to come and go for the most part. It's fleeting. But the activity of a demon is something that has an unusual root. It's very loud. It resists kind of the normal course of whether it's therapeutic technique or whether it is discipling the, the principles we use in discipleship. Demonic activity is, is it's different. Yeah. And uh, it has, a, again, it just has a different hold and a different strength. It's the best way I think I can describe it. Yep. Keith? Sure. I've, I've sat in many counseling sessions with people who were demonized. And I've sat in many counseling sessions with somebody that's in an acute psychotic disorder. And from a very practical sense, being able to discern the difference really matters. Uh, and I think everything Pastor Jim said was, was spot on. But you can't medicate a demon, uh, nor can you cast out a psychotic disorder. So knowing what it is that we're dealing with will determine our course of action. Um, the, from a practical sense, when I see somebody that's 
you know, maybe coming in and saying, I'm hearing voices, right? That's a common thing. And uh, pastors will refer somebody to, to me because they're like, they're hearing voices. I don't know if it's a demon or if it's psychotic, or they'll describe they're having weird smells or weird tactile sensations on their skin, or they're seeing things and they don't know if it's demonic or if it's psychotic. From a practical sense, I always ask people, like if they're saying they're hearing voices, I, I pretty much say, well, tell me what the voice sounds like. And if they're like, well, you know, it's sort of that voice in your head. It kind of sounds like me. And it, if, it, if it's internal, I tend to almost always chalk that up as something that's demonic. Um, if, if we're talking about like really manifesting symptoms. When somebody is having an acute psychotic episode, the voice is external. Like it's no different than you sitting in the audience hearing words coming out of the speaker. It's external view. It's somebody else's voice. It doesn't sound like you. It sounds like whoever the possessor of that voice is. When people are seeing things and you talk to them, and I'll say, well, what does it look like? Is it sort of on the movie screen of your mind or is it like, you know, look like me sitting across from you? Acute psychotic episode, it's external. So they see something outside because something is going on with their brain chemistry that is signaling their eyes and telling them that they see something even though it's not there in a concrete way. Typically, if somebody's having something demonic, like, oh, my gosh, I'm just struggling with these things I'm seeing, it's kind of playing on the movie screen of their mind. And maybe it's violent images or sexual images or whatever it might be. And then from a, a feeling sense, it's just been my experience that the demonic is like an internal compulsion, right? It, it feels like it's on the inside driving you toward activity, driving you toward compulsive behavior. It's something internal that's, that's kind of pushing. It feels like it has a hold on your emotions. Mental health, for the most part, particularly with regards to the psychosis and things like that, it's, it's external. They'll smell things that are external. They'll feel tactile sensations on their skin. They'll hear, have auditory and visual delusions that are external, whereas demonic tends to be more encased in your head or in your body. Thank you for that. That's a really great explanation. Um, a couple more I want to hit fairly quickly just to pop through a couple of these. Miata, I'll ask you this one. This is about uh, friends who uh, have a very negative influence on you. They don't make you feel good about yourself. They kind of, the environments, that, when you're there with them, you're kind of, you don't leave those environments feeling great. Is it okay to distance yourself from those people? Do you have to be available to everybody, even if, you know, it's that person who just, they just drag you down constantly? Again, um, what would you do? There's something called boundaries. Excellent. <laughs> um, I think sometimes as Christians, we that can be a dirty word for some reason. People think boundaries um, is a bad word, but no, it's a very healthy thing to have boundaries between um, yourself and people that are causing you harm or um, creating harmful environments within your own soul. Um, you can limit your interactions with them the amount of time you spend in those environments. And then it goes back to what Pastor Jim and Pastor June said, which is about healthy community and implanting yourself in a healthier environment so you know the difference. Because sometimes we're around stuff or we grow up in stuff. We, we're around different environments and we think it's normal. Um, and it's not until we get in a healthy environment that we can even tell the difference between what we're experiencing. Um, so it's powerful when you put yourself intentionally in a healthy small group um, that you begin to see how do people relate to each other? How do married people relate to each other? How do friends relate to each other in a healthy, edifying way? Um, so, yeah. That's excellent. That's excellent. Okay. 
Can Go ahead. I, yeah. I'd like to circle back though, just real quickly to the whole thing on the demonic. There is a spiritual influence, and I'll use unforgiveness, for instance, that can lock and bind a person up that is spiritual. Now, I won't go so far as to say it's demonic, but I do think that we have to be mindful of those things that spiritually influence or control us that we need to go back and address, whether it's from our past, whether it's generational. Uh, there are things that I think we, that we don't have to just determine as clearly, well, that's a demon, to recognize that we do need to close off the spiritual bondage or influence or even control that those things have exercised in our life. Bitterness being one. Unforgiveness being one. Mm -hmm. Resentment. I mean, you can go down the kind of list of soul issues that we all deal with, and there can be a spiritual, and oftentimes is, a spiritual root in those things that has to be addressed and it has to be brought under the blood of Jesus Christ, and then whatever influence or or, or healing can come about can can then begin to really take effect, because you're addressing something. It's like when the doctor goes in and lances an infected wound, drains out the poison then the healing can occur. Mm. So there's a spiritual dimension that isn't everything doesn't need to become a demon, but there's nonetheless a spiritual reality that's in operation. Great. Um, add to that a little bit, make it specific to this question. A person in a relationship, they have a lot of conflict, a lot of disagreement. It's causing a lot of um, you know, tension, mental health issues and they want to know how can I preserve the relationship take care of myself when this relationship and I'm going to assume let's just say it's a marriage um is causing this because I think you begin to tap into that answer with some of what you, you see said. and I would I would argue that no the relationship is not causing it the relationship is manifesting Excellent. what's in yeah. your soul right and again, right. this is one of the things that we don't want to look at is it's just easier to make it the other person and I think what we have to do, and I, I say this regularly to people, the, the one thing we all have to do is, go, is start by going and look, closing the bathroom door and looking in the mirror and saying, what is the issue? What is in you, my friend? And what is it that I need to bring honestly before the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to make it clear so that I can begin with repentance? That I can begin, that only then can the process of reconciliation, mutual understanding, really begin to be, to be opened up. And then that becomes, and this is a tag on to a couple of other questions, honestly, is the principle of the speck and the beam. Because so many times the very thing that's making us crazy about someone else, <laughs> we're the crazy ones. <laughs> so, yeah, say it, say it, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's I'm, excellent. I think particularly with regards to relationships, too, uh, you know, we can look and say we're stuck because there's two, right? And it takes two to tango, but it only takes one to change the dance. So if we have our dance and we have our tango and we have our crazy cycles and we're stuck and we're locked up, if, if I move toward health, I'm now going to dance differently. And we might step on each other's toes if I start waltzing while we've been tangoing. But at some point, my continued growth and my continued soul searching uh, is going to change the nature of the relationship. Excellent. Excellent. 
Um, there's a question in here around the role of uh, medication. How does medication line up with God? I don't want to take it. I don't want to be reliant on it if I don't need it. Um, I'll give you, I'll re-elaborate a little bit of uh, my story with my wife and I. Um, Pastor Keith, I'd love to hear your perspective on this as well. Um, I'm just a firm believer that I think med medication can play a very important role and, and be very, very helpful. And I have walked with a number of people whose story sounds something like this. I began to see these issues, have these problems. I saw a therapist, a counselor, I got some medication. And, and over the next six or nine months, man, things got, things got a lot better for me. And, and I really began to you know, find a sense of freedom. So I went off my medication and it was like everything came back. And I'm trying to figure out, like, what is God doing? And I'm going like, well, the medicine was working is what was happening. Um, and so that might be a very real thing. Now, I also understand people's, you know, decision of, of I don't want to be reliant on it. You know, I, I don't want to, I would like to find freedom outside of that. Uh, Pastor Keith, if, if you're walking with somebody through that and they're in that tension, sure. doctor says I need it, man, I really don't want it. How would you counsel them? Yeah. yeah so when we're talking about mood disorders, so anxiety, uh, depression, about 20% of those, maybe up to 25%, but at least 20% of those are purely biological, purely biochemical. There's nothing in your life situation. There's no acute event that would cause you. It's just, it's just where you're, you know, we, we all know people where kind of the, the meter runs a little hotter, right? And they're, they're even under good circumstances. They might just be a little bit more fidgety, a little bit more antsy. And we know some folks that under great life circumstances, well, they're just a little bit, how you doing today? Well, okay. They don't have a bad attitude. They're full of faith. They're serving God. Just the meter runs a little lower. And there were times where uh, medication is, I, I mean, I, because the mind is unseen, sometimes we get a little bit weird with medical help. And for, for anything in the psychotic realm, that is the only way to treat it. And it's a perfectly uh, uh, fine way to treat it. Um, if you think of the brain as a body organ, which it is, it's the most important organ you have. If you have any of your other body systems or body organs that aren't working properly, you know, you have high blood pressure, you would take your blood pressure medication. If you had a, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, cancer, you'd go take your chemo medication. If you have a body system that's not functioning properly and the proper treatment for that is medication, there should be no shame just because that. Uh, that body organ that's struggling happens to be your brain. Um, mental health is brain health. It's yeah. the best way to describe it. There is emotional health and there's spiritual health and there's attitude health. But when we're talking about mental health, it's, it's an issue of the brain. And the best way in many cases to moderate brain health is through medication. And I would say this too, if you're, if you, if you've taken some, some mood medications, the, uh, let me give you a super quick story. I have a friend who was struggling with uh, depression, didn't want to take medication. I, I strongly suggest that he did. He did and was immediately feeling uh, so much better. He had people pray for him and he decided by faith he was going to jump off his medication. So he threw his, his Prozac away. The next day he woke up and the depression was still gone. A week later, the depression was still gone. Two weeks later, the depression was still gone. By the third week, he fell into such a deep depression that he literally killed himself. And what happens with a lot of the mood medications is they stay in your system. There's about, about two to three, four weeks till they ramp up, till they're effective, and about two to three to four weeks till they kind of fully flush out of your system. And when they flush out of your system, they flush hard. 
and you crash pretty pretty significantly. Um, so I, I think if a doctor is prescribing that, uh, you don't want to take it if it's a if it's something that's just masking symptomology. It's allowing you to you know walk with low character or keep sin issues. But if the rest of your life checks out, there is zero issue with medication. So Keith, let me ask this one question just to provide a bit of levity to that story. Um, a lot of medication is is round, and I've noted yes. that donuts are round. Yes. And and I've noted that when I don't get donuts, I get cranky. But when I have donuts, I get happy. So can I treat them medicinally as a result? And I'm asking you now. Sure. Think about your answer carefully before you answer. Can you take the donuts? Because I'm coming to your church uh, in the fall. So answer Go ahead. We will have, hey, we have down here, Pastor Jim, donuts that are this big. So okay, they're, that's they're, what they're I thought. All right. So. Just wanted to be sure, my friend. Thank you for Absolutely. verifying that, that donuts are medicinal. I'll tell my wife that when I get home. Absolutely. And with what, one last thought on medication, uh, Pastor. I'm sorry I'm taking so much of the time. But you want just enough to take the edge off so we're not debilitated, hmm. right? So if, if, if this is your normal range in which your mood swings, Right when I cross this threshold, I'm now in the place of debilitation. So I don't want to take a mood medication that narrows me like this. So where, yay, it's my birthday. Mm-hmm. Oh bummer, my dog died. Like you know, I should be able to experience the range of emotions in life. But what the medications do is put a hard stop. Mm-hmm. So if I take too much, my hard stop is too narrow. If I don't take any, I don't have a hard stop, and I can slide over into debilitation. If I have a tendency for whatever reason to cross over into a place of debilitation, a little bit of mood medication brings in and sets a hard stop so I don't get debilitated in my emotions. That's great. And that's a good thing. That's good. That's good, Keith. That's Keith. Thank you. Okay, so um, I got one more question, but I'm going to ask you guys for resources that you would recommend. Uh, for people who want more. So this could be a book you've read, a podcast you've listened to, um, a book of the Bible that might particularly have, you know, been useful uh, as it pertains to the the renewing of the mind or things like that. But uh, those of us who may want to know more or want to continue this journey, want to dig into things more, uh, what would you recommend to them? I'll leave this open-ended. So if you've got something, you know, feel free to share. I'll just echo what I said at the end of my message at the beginning of this series, Robert McGee's Search for significance is a great way that you can kind of begin to sort through some of the things that motivate you and shape you. The other, Peter Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Uh, It really does kind of broach the whole subject of how do we begin to come into health in our emotions. Great resources. Dallas Willard, Reformation of the Heart. Reformation of the Heart. Transformation of the Heart, yeah. It's a renovation of renovation the heart. Renovation of the heart. <laughs> I know we're it circling well. it. Renovation of the heart. Thank you. It was an, it was it was it was a senior moment that we shared right there. I'm not touching that. I'm going to leave that one right where it is. I almost explained what a podcast was to you guys, and I decided I'm not going to do that on stage. But you brought it up. Uh, two phenomenal books. Uh, any others? I was just checking a website. Sorry to make sure that I had it accurately. If somebody else wants to go. Mm-hmm. I was going to say the same book, Emotional yeah. Spiritual, um, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality is great. a really great book. Yeah, definitely. Um, I would love to add scripture memorization. Great. I, I know that's not the most dynamic answer. 
that's good great but we really need to memorize the scriptures and if you have some mindsets and if you have some you know thoughts that you want to rewire we got to do with the scripture and the way we do it is and that's the only weapon we have anyway right and god has given us all the tools in the scripture so i great books absolutely but I just want to say all of those books are supposed to help you so you go back to Scripture right. and you lean on the Holy Spirit. Thank you. So I think memorizing it, reciting it, declaring over yourself daily, I think that is the greatest tool ever. I've got to mention this book. I'm sorry, Pastor Keith. Uh, probably one of the most seminal books that changed my life was a book by John Piper called The Pleasures of God, Meditations of a Christian Hedonist. Mm. And by changing one word in the Westminster confession that it's by enjoying him forever that God has created us not just to enjoy but to enjoy him Mm -hmm. and I tell you when we get our entire motivation shifted around Mm -hmm. that the greatest enjoyment and that and that that I believe that's body soul and spirit when we get our greatest enjoyment from God himself Mm -hmm. and that book absolutely revolutionized my life. So highly recommend it. Doesn't seem like a book you'd recommend in talking about emotional or mental mm-hmm. or spiritual health, but it was it was very important one for me. Yep. Excellent resources that everybody's mentioned. I would add to it uh, anything in the um as Miata was sharing before, uh, anything in the boundaries series. So that would be uh Cloud and Townsend or the authors there. There's boundaries how to say yes, how to say no, boundaries for marriages, boundaries for kids. The boundaries books are really good. And then uh, if you go to, I I couldn't pull it up quick, the website, I apologize, but anything by the American Association of Christian Counselors. So if you are, find yourself going, okay, these things are good for me generally being healthy spiritually, but I am struggling with depression or I, you know, have a, have a, a 21-year-old sister that just got diagnosed with schizophrenia. Now what do I do? And it's not necessarily addressed in some of these books. The Associate, American Association of Christian Counselors, AACC, that's where you're going to find their resource list is going to going to be coming. Um, it'll be professional level, uh, but it'll be biblically sound. It may not necessarily use chapter and verse, uh, but anything that they're going to be recommending is at least going to be scripturally sound and biblically sound, because anything that works in the fields of of Mental health counseling and psychology only work because it's the way God made people and it's the way he made the world. So um, we've just discovered it in counseling, put our own fancy labels on it, um, and then we usually take our theories way too far outside the bounds of Scripture. But anything at the American Association of Christian Counselors uh, would be able to address the big, heavy mental health issues um, in something that doesn't go beyond the bounds of Scripture. Excellent. Thank you, Thank you, Pastor Keith. Pastor Duke, land us back kind of where we started. Um, I don't want us to lose the gospel focus, the gospel impact in this journey. And so when we talk about, um, you know, the different struggles, clinical or self-imposed or unhealthy thought patterns or lack of rest, which we didn't even touch tonight, but that was a convicting message like I've ever heard. Um, Help us understand, digest, reframe this. What does the blood of Christ do for us in this journey? What does it unlock for us? How do we, maybe a better way to ask this is, how do we apply this to ourselves regularly and not lose that as as a central key to unlocking some of these things that are within us? 
You know, one of the things that uh, I don't I don't think we ever think about nearly enough, and that is just the simple act of gratitude. Because when we're thankful to God, to be thankful, you have to remember. You draw back to the front of your mind the truth of what he's done. And the beginning of that truth always begins with Jesus Christ on the cross. And that therein, when he concluded his life by saying it is finished, he wasn't just talking, I don't believe, about his mission about his own physical existence. I think there were implications that echo down through eternity as to the end of the enemy's ability to rule and affect us, the power of sin to affect us. And when we remember his death on our behalf and our identification with that and we give gratitude and thank him for it, We bring to mind, but we not only bring to mind, we bring to bear the reality of that that accomplishment. And we have to understand that what Jesus Christ did in time and space is a real accomplishment that affects us when we receive it and affirm it and open ourselves up to it. And we should be doing that over and over and over and over again every day. A life well lived is a life relying on the grace of God. Could I, could I just tag on to that? I'm sorry, but the Bible's very clear that the life is in the blood. So where there's no blood, there's no life. And this is one of the reasons that when we come to the table, we come to the, to the Eucharist. It says many of you, you're sick. You've fallen asleep. It's because you fail to recognize. And so when we fail to recognize the shed body, the, the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus, then that's, that has to be the foundation and the source of our health. And wherever there's no blood, there's no health. And so many times, whether or not it's the root of bitterness or forgiveness or what have you, many times we can't even work it up in our emotions and our soul to do it. But that's where we have to appropriate the blood. The blood is not just for physical healing. It's not just for once a month when we do communion. The blood is something that has to be continually applied to the lentils and the doorpost of our entire being every day. Excellent. Excellent. Pastor June, would you pray for us and anyone here? This might be stirring something for some people. I know we've gotten a lot of feedback on this series. A lot of people have reached out um, and have talked about it and have shared it, which is which has been great. Um, and so for those who might even tonight just feel like, man, I could just, could we just seal this moment? Yeah. The prayer. Yes, I would love to pray. And I'm praying Jeremiah 118. Lord, you said that I behold, I make you this day a fortified city an iron pillar and a bronze wall against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. God, Jeremiah needed this. And if we are going to live our calling, if we are going to live out our purpose in the gospel in the world and be witnesses in the world, be the messenger that you've allowed us to be, the witness that we're called to be. We are going to need to be the fortified city, the iron pillar, 
the bronze walls. So I'm praying that you'll help our minds and our soul to be that, to be healed, to be strengthened, to be fortified. Not so that we're all better and we're happier, but rather so that we could be effective witnesses as you call us to be, Lord. God, help us. Help us to live well for your kingdom. Help us to honor you and glorify you through this journey and be grateful. Yes, be grateful in the blood of Jesus Christ and the life that we have. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor June. Can we give a hand for our panelists tonight?